0: Last few days, we've been talking quite a bit about um, kind of the common difficulties that we face and kind of what to do with those difficulties, kind of blind, wise effort. So, I decided to shift gears a little bit and talk about happiness tonight. Uh, that's certainly an important uh, aspect of the practice that sometimes gets uh, forgotten. There are, of course, lots and lots of different sources of happiness. You know, and I'm sure we're familiar with many of them. You know, Just taking a, a look at the world that we're used to living in and, and what, what many people at least consider sources of happiness, you could certainly see that one of the first things that comes to mind in this culture is having enough money, you know, having enough money to buy the things that you want, the cars, the cell phones, the computers, um, the homes. Having enough money, very important. Um, having the right kind of work, you know, work that you like, obviously is a source of happiness. Sometimes a source of unhappiness also, but when it's right, it is certainly a source of happiness. Uh, having healthy relationships, another source of happiness out there, in the everyday world. Nice home, having a nice place to meditate in that nice home, that's become something valued, I'd say, certainly in this culture and. Finally, having good health. It's really a significant source of health and of happiness, and, and when it's not, obviously a source of unhappiness. The sources of happiness on retreat tend to be a little bit more subtle. Sometimes you have to look very closely uh, at what your experience is to, to find out what makes you happy on retreat, because a lot of these things, like money, notice that money cars, cell phones, nice homes, all of that becomes pretty much irrelevant out here. Um, And what becomes more important, what what becomes our source of happiness, certainly was for me this week, uh, a very pleasant surprise, which was just how warm and uh, nice the uh, the weather has been, really great walking weather. So that obviously has been a source of happiness, I'm sure, for many of us. Um, Having the right yogi clothes. Even something like that. The right yogi clothes. Something that's comfortable, that you like looking at in the mirror, uh, that kind of fits your mood for the day, uh, you know, able to shift into the transition of doing yoga from the sitting posture. Uh, the right clothes are certainly a source of happiness. Uh, noticing something new on the bulletin board. Big <laughs> source of happiness. It's one of the few unchanging phenomena on retreat life. But every once in a while, something new crops up, a new... New list of group interviews. It's the same old group, but it's a, it's a new day. The same people are in your group, but still it's exciting. Something might happen. Finding out that you actually like your yogi job. A big one. Big one. Actually liking your yogi job. Not having to do it mindfully, but you actually enjoy doing it. Big source of happiness. Also, you're lucky if you actually find a job like that, because the next retreat probably will be different. <laughs> we we'll, might get to that in a minute or two. Of course, feeling peaceful in sittings, of course, that's a you know, wonderful source of happiness. And uh, finally, what Larry spoke about the other day, which was uh, the happiness of concentration, you know, that deep inner contentment and joy that's possible anyways when the mind becomes very concentrated, when it experiences things like the jhanas. You know, when the mind is very, very, very quiet and focused. It can, be, it can become a source of deep inner contentment and peace. But with all these sources of happiness, there's kind of an inherent problem, which is that You know, they're all uh, conditional. All these forms of happiness that we've spoken to are conditional. They depend on certain conditions coming together. Finding out something that you like at lunch. One day it works, the next day it doesn't. Very fleeting, that source of happiness, because it's so conditional. It depends on getting what you want. So much of our happiness depends on getting what we want. And of course the nature, sometimes even the nature of what we want, changes. And so often what we want is really a little bit out of our control. You know, We can't quite get there. A lot of people experience that in meditation because one of the desires that we often have is a desire for really high states of mind or uh, Basically, a desire for anything else to happen, but what's happening. you know Anything. just not this. You know? So looking at that mind. And so when we rely solely on conditions, this is not to belittle the sources of happiness that I spoke about but when we rely solely on conditions to provide us with happiness, unfortunately, it creates a lot of tension in the mind. It creates a lot of tension. It creates a lot of fear. It also creates a lot of restlessness because the nature of those con- conditions are they change. Even if we get what we want, it, it's fleeting. And then we have to push into that next moment. We have to get that next source of happiness. We have to get that next feeling. And it creates a lot of restlessness. It's very, in, in some ways, disempowering for us to be subject, you know, for our happiness to be subject to the conditions. Solely subject, anyway. leads to a lot of discontent. And certainly that's one of the things that we tend to look at on retreat, is that discontent with things as they are. Well, fortunately in Vipassana, something more is possible. We're interested on this path. The reason we're walking this path is we're looking for something more reliable, you know, if we were content with these forms of happiness, say the worldly forms of happiness, we wouldn't be here. I really don't believe that. We wouldn't be here. So we're looking for something else. And the source of happiness in Vipassana comes from clear seeing. It comes from clear seeing, it comes from inner freedom, tasting what inner freedom is like, and it also comes from an experience of deep peace. We are seeing, in a freedom, deep peace. Definitely beats lunch today. Definitely beats lunch today, that very impermanent phenomena that we, of course, had so many reactions to. So the peace of Vipassana comes, comes about Through this process that Larry has been talking about, me too, some, this process of self-knowing. And this kind of happiness that comes out of Vipassana, it's not so conditional. It doesn't depend on the rise and tide of conditions. It really comes out of this ability to see clearly as we begin to turn our attention towards ourselves and towards ourselves in relationship to the conditions that we find ourselves in. It's how we're relating to those conditions. That's what's going to make the difference between whether we suffer or not. See, If we see the conditions as the source of our suffering or we see the conditions as the source of our unhappiness, we're subject to them. We're lost. We're disempowered. And so when we begin to take responsibility for our own happiness, what that entails is to begin to look at yourself. What am I doing? How am I relating to the present moment? How am I relating to things as they are? Not as they should be, not as they could be, but just taking a look at things exactly as they are. And also looking at your relationship to that. When pain arises, looking at your relationship to it. When Restlessness arises, looking at your relationship to it. When you're eating lunch and enjoying lunch, being mindful you know being mindful being present means that you're also looking at yourself you're in relationship to what you're doing that's in the present moment and so taking a look at that and learning from that experience in many ways what we're doing and why the why it's such a radical training which is what we're trying to do is train the mind to pay attention with an open heart to ourselves like opening our hearts to just the way the mind is right now, to open our hearts to just the way the body is right now. It's very difficult to do that because of our conditioning. We've been trained to relate to our body, we've been trained to relate to pain, we've been trained to relate to certain conditions as good or bad, lots of value judgments in there, lots of value judgments about ourselves and others, and so that's how we often respond to those conditions. It's very, very habitual, very, very deep. And what we want to begin to do is relate, shift our relationship to the world that we live in, shift our relationship to ourselves in a direction of being more mindful or aware of what's happening. Rather than being constantly caught grabbing on or pushing away the things that are coming by, the things that we experience, rather beginning to take a look and question that a little bit and, and ask ourselves, do we really want to invest our happiness in these things? Is it possible to, to face pain or to, to face a condition that's difficult and not suffer? Those are some of the most important questions we can ask ourselves. Because as human beings, we're subject to all of the above. You know, we're subject to pleasure, we're subject to pain. And yet somehow, somehow we have to make our way through that. We have to see through that. We have to see if it's possible to experience freedom in the middle of that, in the middle of the changing nature of life. A really concrete example of something that happened to us a few years ago as a way of beginning to understand In a very practical way, um, kind of what the kind of fruit that can come out of doing Vipassana practice and how it leads to happiness. Um, Just a few years ago, Larry and I were leading a retreat here. It was about this time of year. Um, And somewhere, uh, there might even be a few people that were on that retreat. I'm trying to remember how long ago. but Maybe about three three or four years ago. Um, And we were into about the second or third day. It was like a Monday or Tuesday started on a Saturday. It was like a Monday or Tuesday. Sitting in the hall, I think it was the 815 sitting. And then all of a sudden, there was this crashing sound and this really loud banging that started, like, on this side of the building, actually. And it really was loud. I mean, not like the wind or you know, any of the kind of sounds we've been subject to. Moving in the hall or any of that. We're talking about major construction sounds. And so I remember sitting here and thinking, what the heck? You know, I mean, definitely had a strong reaction to like going from quiet and the hall just started quieting down, you know, you know what it's like the first couple of days and then all of a sudden it's incredibly loud. So we sat through it and we were like right on the edge of shifting from samadhi practice to shamatha practice to. Uh, the exclusive attention to the more open. And we actually pushed the opening up a day or or so because uh, concentration was not going to be one of the strong points of the next couple of days. Because what happened was is that this construction crew showed up a week uh, in advance. They were scheduled to be here the next week, but they showed up because it fit into their schedule. And what they were doing was they were replacing all the window framings in in the building, this building actually, Not just the windows, but the frames and everything. And so that meant they had to rip out everything. And the buildings were, of course, open because of that. But then uh, the amount of noise was just staggering. And so you can imagine what was going on through people's minds. You know, you paid all this money to come to IMS. (laughs) And a lot of people live in the city. We do. I do. And, uh, you know, the one thing you expect is at least semblance of silence, you know, and we're like living in a construction site. So one of the things I did is, you know, one of the leaders of the retreat was kind of find out why this was happening today. Uh, So I kind of chased down maintenance and I had a little aversion in my mind (laughs) and I said, well, why does it have to happen today? You You know, why couldn't this happen some other time? They said it was scheduled for the following week, but um, these guys showed up, and it had to get done. And if they said, you know, come back, who knows when they would come back necessarily. They might not come back very soon. So it had to get done. So this big construction project was going on in this building, and there was lots and lots of sounds, lots of banging, just ripping. People were like, my windows, my room, it's a nice room usually, but the windows were out, actually. And I, I, and I would come in after doing interviews, and there would be these guys looking at me in the window. <laughs> No window. <laughs> you know, <laughs> wave to them. Uh. So the conditions all of a sudden, in a very unpredictable way, changed. So how, how to respond to that situation if one's a yogi? Now, one thing you could do is get really angry at IMS. Get, pack up your bags and take off. And I'm sure that thought definitely arose for a few folks. That, that, could, that would be one response. Another response could be you get angry, but instead of packing your bags, you actually take the anger or your reaction as a mindfulness practice. You actually see that as part of the retreat. Yeah. It's not just the breath anymore. It's not just the quiet. You know, it's now working with what we're doing in relationship to the construction. Because here we are, it's real life. You know, conditions all of a sudden change. and Now we have to deal with it. So how are we going to respond in this situation? We can choose to suffer and suffer quite profoundly over something like this. Or we can begin to work with it and see if we can actually exist in these particular condition, conditions without suffering. In Vipassana, that's what we're doing. It's not that we're passive necessarily about conditions or that we're indifferent to conditions. But instead of getting caught in reactivity around conditions, we're also looking and working with reactivity through our mindfulness practice. And there's tremendous fruit, tremendous fruit. can't emphasize that enough in this particular kind of work. This is what we're talking about when we talk about freedom, because it's not free if you get angry, you pack up your bags and you go, because of some sounds. know Why not work with it? Why not just take a look at what we're dealing with? You know This thing also was quite impermanent. It wasn't really that painful. And in fact, it really kept people awake. It really did. Like, sleepiness was never a complaint uh, during the day. You know? Everybody was wide awake and actually quite energized, yeah. you know? all those reactions. <laughs> one fruit of being mindful of reactions, being try, working with your reactions to things, the, one fruit is that when we talk about freedom, what we're talking about is letting go of our conditioning. You know, beginning to transform our conditioning. Instead of being subject to our conditioning, whether it's aversive conditioning or clinging to pleasant, every pleasant thing that comes along, instead of getting stuck in that, you know, beginning to t- kind of take a look at it and begin to let it go. Uh, that's the power of mindfulness. That's the beautiful powerful, my power of mindfulness is, is that when we, bring it, when we bring mindfulness to our conditioned reaction, we're no longer feeding it. We're no longer feeding it. And if we're not feeding it, we're not subject to it as much. And we can begin to discover this process of actually letting go of the reactions to it, and then we can deal with conditions as they are. You know, And one thing that people would do, and this was strongly encouraged in the hall, which was to be mindful of your reactions. You know, watch what happens around that. Disappointment, anger, expectations, fear, even... Uh, different kind of reaction. But then, you know, be mindful of reactions, but then focus your attention on the condition itself, the sound. Because what it comes down to is they were simply sounds. Nobody was being harmed. Nobody was in danger. It was simply a sound that we didn't like. Its nature might have been unpleasant. It it was unpleasant. Um, But it was a sound. It has the same nature as this. Same nature. It arises, expresses itself, and passed away. And so people started reporting in the interviews. You know, they talked a lot about their reactions too, but then they realized they could actually take it as a mindfulness practice. And like I said, it was keeping them awake, which was nice, nice change. And so they just focused and and did listening meditation. You know, they just simply stayed receptive and mindful and actually noticed that the sounds really started changing into energy, just forms of energy. Because, of course, that's what it is on another level. When we're reacting to it, Mm-mm, it shouldn't be happening. It shouldn't be happening to me. There's injustice and blame and all sorts of identification in that. We just simply relax, observe and work with our reactions, our real reactions, like anger, not denying that, pushing it away, but working with it. But then also focusing on the nature of the condition itself. Get to know what those sounds are like. What what are the characteristics? They varied a lot. There was banging and pulling, and guys talking, and trucks pulling up, and there were lots of different sounds. Actually, a lot of variety. Um, and I, I actually thought it was became a, quite a good practice. And and they stuck around for a couple of days, we, two two and a half days maybe. Um, And then they left. Then they left. They were gone. The windows were in. The building was taken care of, and we still had our retreat. And so the conditions changed. It was a lot more silent in the room. I was happy about the silence in the room after they left, but I also realized the value in it. And I still look back at those times, and I think it was a gift. See, that wasn't my initial reaction by any stretch. You know, not by any stretch. But retrospectively, I realized there was a lot of learning. And when we did the go-around and sharing at the end, a lot of people said that. A lot of people said, you know, they got really angry about it, really frustrated, and really discouraged because they were just getting concentrated. And so there was a lot of investment in the silence, of course, a lot of expectations. But they work with it. So to me, that was very inspiring to see that you could be subject to those things and still... Work with it. Still try to stay balanced and realize that it was possible, actually, experience happiness uh, even when things weren't going your way. And, and that happiness really just comes out of work. I mean, it, didn't, it doesn't happen by itself. Um, it's the reactive mind that happens kind of by itself. But working with it in a way that allows you to experience some peace in the middle of that does take some effort, as we've talked about. Another fruit, and this is a very, very important one. It's kind of very related to what I'm saying. An, uh, another, at least another aspect of uh, the fruit in practice, which is uh, bringing mindfulness to reaction creates the space in the mind. This is what I love. Personally, this is what I love about practice. I mean, this is where, for me, it's tremendous joy and energy and interest comes out of this, uh, out of this space, which is when you're mindful of your reactions, you know, when, you, when you learn to be more present with things as they are, you, you learn things. You, know, you learn to respond in different ways. You know, the mind is open Things are fresh. Things are fresh. There's energy in what you're doing. There's energy in the activities you're doing. There's energy in the present moment itself. Because the mind is very present through mindfulness. It allows you to learn. It allows you to do something different. It allows you to approach the things that we confront on a moment-to-moment, daily basis. And we can engage in those things in a very creative way. Creativity, people often talk, well, you know, meditation doesn't seem creative. It is creative, because when we can begin to relate to the people that we're involved in, the relationships that we're in, the conditions that we live in, when we can begin to relate to them with mindfulness, with fresh attention, it opens up so many other possibilities. So many of us, we don't really know what our potential is because we're so caught in our conditioning. We're so trapped by the past, by our history. And it's so difficult to be free of that, not to deny the history, but to be able to relate to the present moment with freedom. And the power of mindfulness really enables us to do that, that quality of mindfulness at the forefront of self-knowing, that ability to simply open to what's happening right now, And one can actually practice that. That's the nice thing. It's not just some high lofty goal that's unattainable. One can actually start from scratch and actually cultivate that ability, develop that strength, that capacity to do it. And retreat environment is perfect for that. Perfect for that in a lot of ways. Take, for instance, the walking meditation. I know the walking meditation can be boring. And sometimes it seems like a waste of time. Sometimes it just seems like anything else would be more valuable. You you could do yoga six or seven times a day. You could get seven cups of tea. Um, You can go, you know, lots of different things other than walking. But the fruit of doing walking, one fruit of doing walking is when you walk, this is a suggestion I have for everybody, especially people that have been practicing for a long time. Stand there. You know, get into your walking path, stand there, and just say to yourself, okay, I've never walked before in my life. Never been here. Don't even you know, maybe I know how to do it. I know it has something to do with moving feet. You know, moving legs, moving feet, feet touching floor. Okay, I, know, I know kind of how to do it. Okay, I'm not going to suppress that. But I really don't know what the experience feels like. So I'm going to walk now just to see what it feels like. And so there's this complete openness, like a journey into the unknown, even with the walking. You might even be on the same path that you've been on 10, 20, 50 times this week. You approach it that way, that this is really a new experience and you simply want to experience the contact with the feet, that quality of freshness is essential in practice. That's what we're training ourselves to do. It's not to become an expert at walking meditation. It's not even to get to a place where you can just go through, you know, walk for 45 minutes or an hour with nonstop without a break. It's more how you're walking, you know, inwardly how you're walking. What's the quality of attention? And so bringing that fresh attention to the walking practice is incredibly helpful. You learn a lot. You're training the mind to look at sort of often what are considered mundane activities, but you're training to relate to those activities in a fundamentally different way. And what we want to do in our life is to do this a lot. We want to take this approach a lot because it bears a lot of fruit. It's actually what we mean by being alive. See, if we're alive, we're actually present. You know, we're, we're attentive to what, what's going on. We're actually learning. We're in relationship to what we're doing. There's a, a connection to what we're doing, and it's very immediate because you're there. You know, sometime, say tomorrow, when you go for a walk or you go outside, notice the moment that you open the door, front door. We all know what that big white door feels like, you know, it's a big door. Open the door, and when you... Just when you first start looking out, kind of imagine that you've never been here before. N- imagine you've never been here before. And so you're just looking at the landscape, you're looking at the environment in a completely fresh way. It's such a different way of being in the same place than if you are preoccupied, if you're lost, you're somewhere else, um, you're not paying attention, or you're taking things for granted, or you've been here before, you know what it's like. Instead of that attitude, really taking that attitude of, hey, you know, I haven't been here before, let's just take a look. When I go for a walk, I try to do that. I try to just kind of look around and make a connection to the environment that's fresh. Like, you know, noticing a bird, or noticing something. Like today, I was walking up the stairs, these main stairs, and I've done that a zillion. I used to live here for years, I've done it a zillion times. And I was walking up the stairs, and I got to about the third step. For some reason, I was actually pretty present. And uh, I hit the third step, and then all of a sudden, I started feeling this heat, like this heat rising and hitting my face, like right into my chin. I, first, I thought I was, like, hallucinating it, because I was thinking, where is this heat, you know? I, then I thought, maybe I'm sick. Um, and then I walked up a few more steps, and the heat disappeared. And I, I kind of never had that experience before going up those stairs. So I kind of looked back, and I looked around, and of course, I looked at what conditions could have brought that about, and I realized that there was a radiator, like, along the side of the stairwell, and, you know, the heat from the radiator was rising, and and for some reason, I was there, and boom, I could just feel it, and to me, that was like a moment of living, you know, because I connected to that experience, something that up and down the stairs, you just kind of fly, um, not even touching the floor, practically, and here it was, something new happened. My mind was open. That's the fruit of practice. And fortunately for us, too, mindfulness becomes more accessible with practice. So I want to emphasize that. You know, when we talk about the difficulties and, and kind of how hard it is to, to be mindful, with practice it becomes easier to remember to be mindful it becomes easier to remember to be present. See, that's what's wonderful. That's what's great. It actually becomes uh, part of your resources. It becomes part of how you begin to respond to, to where you find yourself, to wherever you find yourself, whatever activity you're doing, whoever you're talking to. Mindfulness comes up. You know, it, we, we gain access to it with practice. At the beginning, mindfulness practice is really, really hard because we've spent a lifetime, most of us, not practicing it, not remembering, not even knowing how to, how to be mindful. You know, like Larry said the other day, the Buddhist practice is just incredibly simple. I mean, it's so simple that it would be hard to think it up. You know, it really would be. It would be hard to come up with this thought that all you do is open, bring open attention to the present moment and the whole path reveals itself. The whole path reveals itself just through open-hearted attention to the present. The wisdom that comes to us through practice comes through direct seeing, direct seeing into the present moment. It comes from being very connected to the present moment. It's not the wisdom of somebody passing something down to you. It comes out of your actual experience in your daily life, in your life as it is. And so it becomes a resource, and it's very empowering to learn how now to automatically respond to life with some degree of attention. It's it's wonderfully joyful, actually. It energizes the system, it energizes the body, it energizes the mind. All of a sudden, things, all of a sudden, boredom, you know, I, boredom begins not to be so much part of your life. I mean, you begin to see that even if you're feeling bored, with mindfulness. It's not that boring. You just kind of pay attention to the boredom. actually. And I think boredom is actually a very interesting state of mind. I, I really do. I think it's fascinating what boredom is. Because if you can, you can talk to like 10 different people about boredom, and it get, it's very hard to explain it. You know, most people talk about restlessness. Restlessness comes out of boredom. but It's not exactly the same thing. Take a look at boredom when it comes up see if it's possible to actually sit there and be bored. Really bored. And don't worry about it. Just be incredibly bored with the entire scene, the entire practice, all the teachers, whatever it is, just be as bored as you can possibly be. And just stay there. Just stay there and see what happens. Our usual MO Is when we get bored, we push into the next moment. We don't like that feeling, and so we move out. It generates restlessness, and this it creates this whole uh, feeling of dissatisfaction and discontent. And there's something that I I've seen a lot, uh, just this kind of pushing into the next moment. You know, this constantly. You know, pushing into the next sitting, pushing into the next walking, pushing into the dining room, pushing to get your cup of tea, pushing to get outside, pushing to get inside. You know, that, that you know, kind of always looking for what, you know, something that's going to make it a little bit less uninteresting, uncomfortable, something, some relief. So we keep pushing into the next moment. So staying with these things, it, it actually it's joyful to actually be able to to know that you can be with things, that you can be with yourself. I mean, just that ability to just be with yourself and not have to be entertained and not not have to fix who you are. Kind of let that one go for just a little while. You don't have to fix yourself. IMS isn't about fixing who you are. It's about finding out who you are or who you're not. It's a really different orientation. So, the freedom of mindfulness obviously has a lot to do with letting go of habit. You know, and I personally think habit is um, when we live our lives in a very habitual way, um, it creates a lot of unhappiness in our minds. It creates a sense of separation. You know, separation, you know, when we walk around or we're doing activities, we brush our teeth, we take a shower, we go to the bathroom, we talk to somebody on the phone, we, you know, we're going through the motions and we're acting and reacting constantly in an habitual way. It creates a lot of discontent in the mind. One thing we begin to do is feel very alone, and very separate from the things that we're doing. You know, there's a sense of disconnect, You know, from our bodies, there's a sense of disconnect from people that we're in relationship with when we're not so present. So, practice is really overcoming that feeling of separation, developing, like Larry said the other day, intimacy, you know, direct connection with yourself and with other people, direct connection with your environment that you're in, direct connection to the walking or to the sitting or to the breathing. Just being with it as it is, it doesn't have to change. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to problem-solve right now. At some point, you will. But the problem-solving that we need to do in our everyday life, we want that to be informed by inner clarity, by having inner space or inner balance, rather than the reactive mind. And so often, our reactive mind is what's driving our analysis, it's our reactive mind that's driving the problem solving. So we jump. As soon as we find something we don't like, we meet some form of unhappiness, we immediately leap into fixing it, whether it's fixing somebody else or fixing ourselves. We don't give ourselves a chance to learn something with those difficulties. And it's learning that brings tremendous joy. And everybody knows that in this room. You know, One of the things that brings you joy, deep joy, is learning something new, opening to something. And when you're opening to yourself in discovering qualities and capacities and strengths that you didn't know were there, it's tremendously liberating and tremendously freeing. And, of course, that's what comes out of practice. You know, that's what comes out of wise effort, is this joy and happiness of being able to live life in a fresh way, where you're open not so reactive or or closed. Okay, I'll stop. Let's sit for a minute. So once again, as we move out of the hall and we move into um, the next walking period, try that. See if you can bring fresh attention, not only to the next walking period, but really everything that you're doing. Even if you're spaced out for an hour and you finally come back. When you come back, see if you can relate to what's happening, what, what's happening now. It, really seeing it in a new way, in a fresh way, with mindfulness. Thanks. Thank you for listening.